Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. More than half of Northumberland County is Christian, yet most churches in the community sit with mainly empty pews. Nearly the same numbers say they do not have any faith. Maybe that could explain it. But that would be an oversimplification, says Reverend Neil Ellis, minister at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church in Coburg. At this time of year, many people return to church to celebrate Christmas. The recently released StatsCan census data also indicate a more diverse community in Northumberland, as other faiths such as Hindu, Jewish, Muslim, Buddhist, Sikh are on the rise. Alice will share his insights and more. I'm so pleased to have with me today Reverend Neil Ellis, minister at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church in Coburg. Welcome to Consider This Northumberland. Well, thanks for having me on, Rob. Really appreciate it. Looking at 2022 census figures released by Stats Canada recently, of the roughly 87,000 people who live in Northumberland County, just over half identify as Christian. So here's the corker. 43% say they do not have any religious affiliation. Do those numbers surprise you? No, they don't, um, actually. Uh, They they don't come um, as a a surprise. Um, You know, when we look at uh, some of those numbers that are on StatsCan, what we we see in that census data is a trend that's been going on, actually, for, for quite a while. Uh, one of my predecessors, actually, at St. Andrews, the Reverend Dr. Uh, Stuart McDonald, one of his areas of research uh, is on uh, the decline of, of the church and church numbers. Um, a couple of years ago, he and his research partner, Brian Clark, published a book, Leaving Christianity, Changing Allegiances in Canada Since 1945. And he covers and looks at a lot of that sort of census data, not necessarily for, for Northumberland County, but for Canada as a whole, um, and tries to speculate as to, you know, what some of those causes might be and, and what that means uh, for, the, for the church. Uh, so seeing the information doesn't come as a surprise. I, what comes as a surprise, Rob, is that about 2,400 people identify as being Presbyterian. And that's probably more people than are on the role of the, I think it's seven Presbyterian churches that are in Northumberland County. So I sort of say, well, where is everybody? <laughs> so let's talk a bit about that then, because that reference is another thing that I, I'm really interested in exploring. And that is, you know, when people identify as, as being Christian, to what extent are they active? And how do you define being active? You just mentioned, you know, all these people that identify as being Presbyterian of your faith, and yet um, that's not the numbers that are filling the pews. So what's going on there? Can you help us understand? Yeah, that, I mean, that's an interesting question. And I think that, uh, you know, part of the answer is that people 
um, still refer to themselves as Christian. They'll still refer to themselves as having an affiliation with either the Presbyterian Church or the United Church, or perhaps as being a Roman Catholic. And uh, but they don't regularly attend. But maybe that was the tradition of uh, of their parent. Uh, perhaps they come during uh, during certain services um, during the year. Uh, and so there just sort of seems to be that uh, that traditional sort of uh, clinging to you know to roots um, in a way um, that. Uh, that, that people have. And, you know, you talk about, well, what does it mean to be an active Christian? And I can remember being in a, a I'll call it a board meeting, you know, a, a leadership group. And this was back when I was in seminary. And they were talking about a particular member. And, uh, you know, one of uh, the, the elders in the meeting said, well, I've never seen that individual on church at church on a Sunday. And uh, someone else replied, well, that's because they, they work on Sunday mornings. But uh, they're at Bible study every Monday night, you know. Um, and so what does church attendance mean and what does it mean to be active um, and as a Christian? And what does it mean to to live out your faith, whatever that might be and however that might look? You know, those are there in as much as they're collective questions. They're also very individual um, questions and the responses that we find. Well, let's explore that a little bit more. I noticed in the data that Catholics and United Church make up a bulk of those practicing Christianity in Northumberland. Mm -hmm. And that would seem to make historical sense. I mean, if you looked at the settlement patterns, I, I mean, mostly it was Methodists and Catholics who made up the migration back in the 19th century. Mm -hmm. But what are your thoughts as to why those tend to be dominant versions of the faith uh, in this area? Um, I think when we... you. You think you've hit it there with just the settlement patterns, you know, uh, when you look at uh, the, the, you know, uh, from a colonial aspect of those settlers who came over um, and settled in these lands uh, from Europe, the traditional face that they would have had would have been, uh, you know, the French would have been Roman Catholic. Um, and then those who came over from, uh, from, from England would be either Anglican or that mix of Protestantism. And the United Church has that larger, larger number um, because of ch uh, church union, which is, of course, when the Methodist Church and the Presbyterian Church, for the most part, um, amalgamated and, and formed that new de denomination back in the 1920s. Um, and so that uh, represents why that number would, would, be, uh, would be that higher number. And that's why we'll see those as the three higher. And a lot of the other Christian traditions... Um, uh, some of them are uh, much newer traditions uh, that, that have come in uh, uh, later in, in the post-Reformation period. Well, it, it, if you look at the numbers again, it seems like Anglicans and Presbyterians sort of follow in behind that. And then there's the Baptists and the Pentecostal and Charismatics. Now, I noticed they didn't describe them as evangelicals. Why, why do you think that is? And, and what does evangelical mean to you? Uh, evangelical, I mean, one, it, it is a term that's used for a certain um, segment, uh, if you will, of, um, of, uh, of Christianity in terms of uh, it tends to be more seen as a more um, outgoing, a more persuasive uh, form of when we think of evangelism. You know, uh, I don't want to paint a negative light, but you might think of like uh, the preacher on the street corner, right, is more of an evangelical, evangelicalistic uh, type of uh, a model of the faith. Really, 
all churches are evangelical. That's sharing the good news. Uh, but we go about it different ways. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, the traditional Protestant denominations tend to, like, uh, as a Presbyterian, uh, Presbyterian, you know, we're, we're called that because that's the, the word presbos, which is a Greek word, means elder. And that's how our church is governed. And that's the name that, we, that we've given ourselves sort of as, as a denomination. Um, but, uh, yeah, those, those, uh, those newer groups and, uh, uh, come in, in that, uh, that light and, uh, yeah. I wonder, you were talking earlier about, um, people who attend and people who don't attend, and you were talking about declining numbers, you, you know, we've, we've brushed up against a, a couple of these ideas. I wonder though, how much of it has to do with people's, uh, engagement with the church as an institution versus uh religion as a as a descriptor and i wonder if you could draw some some conclusions from that oh yeah uh, <laughs> don't get me started um you know it's interesting because of course i'm a minister and so from a official point of view and as as my office if you will as minister i represent the institutional church um, and even some of the roles I hold uh, within the church um, are very institutional. And I'm probably someone who doesn't really like the institutional church very much. Um, and I, I think that you're, you're, you're right there is, is that there's a, a difference, I think, between the institution and then just how people refer to themselves. You'll hear people say, well, I'm, I'm spiritual, not religious, right? Um, you know, and that's, a, that's a, a, them coming up against the institutions of, of the church. Um, in terms of people attending and not attending, it's, it's you, when we look at the decline of the church through from the 50s through the 60s and 70s, where we started seeing that big decline, I will always hear in church meetings and planning meetings, individuals will say, well, oh, I remember when we hear, you hear a lot of, I remember when, so, you know, the Sunday school was full and different things like that. And I grew up and I was the product of a, a big Sunday school. Um, but I look around at most, a lot of my peers and those individuals who were at Sunday school with me. And I'm like, None of them are in church. You know, where did we lose them? How did we lose them? What were the, uh, the questions that people were asking that the church as an institution perhaps failed to answer in a sufficient way? Uh, and so people started asking those questions and looking for those answers in other places. Uh, they're formative questions, they're spiritual questions, and they weren't finding an answer that satisfies. And I think that's something that the church as an institution needs to should be reflecting on there's a lot of different versions of christianity we were just talking about all the different ones in in northumberland county mm -hmm. when i try to explain this to students in some of my classes i use the metaphor of ice cream that there's yeah. you know a basic recipe and a method for making ice cream but then there are lots of different flavors but it's still ice cream if there's more than may... 31 <laughs> <laughs> for those who may not fully appreciate the the various churches can you give us a very short or basic primer as to why there are so many different flavors if you will yeah that um a lot of that kind of comes down to you know doctrine and theology which can be heavier topics you know at the core um, all of the churches would would hold to the same principal tenets um, and, and beliefs uh, um, about God. But then when we start 
piecing out and parsing out maybe particular uh, pieces of scripture, particular parts of dogma of how we would operate and interpret things, we start having differences um, there that start cropping up. Uh, you know, there'll, there'll be some uh, that, uh, you know, uh, some take a very uh, literal reading to scripture. And so if you're going to take a very literal reading of scripture, then you're going to come out with a certain bias and, and shape of the way your faith looked. You come out with a, a certain flavor. Um, and if you take maybe perhaps a, a more liberal reading, you know, and you, uh, you, you're reading scripture as metaphor, recognizing, and, and I, I come on a more literal side, or not literal, sorry, a more metaphorical and interpretive side of scripture, recognizing that uh, the Bible contains multiple type genres of writing. Um, and so to read it from cover to cover on a literal basis doesn't make sense when part of scripture is poetry. Um, and so like, should I be reading poetry literally or should I be trying to look for what the metaphor and the message is, is behind that? Um, and part of it is, is history. Uh, in fact, there's in the Old Testament, there's, uh, there's two different books that, that tell us history of the same time period from two different points of view. Um, and so you find scripture contradicts itself because two different authors from two different with two different biases are telling the same story. Um, but that story is ultimately about God and about a people and, their, and our relationship with God. And that's what we need to be pulling out of out of it. Um, and so it, it comes down to that. It's uh, it's not an easy conversation. Um, but within the Christian community, within Northumberland, I can speak specifically within Coburg, um, that there's a, a real sense of uh, congeniality between all of the different ministers and pastors at all the different churches. Uh, we've come together many times in the past. Um, to work together for the community, um, to, to raise funds uh, uh, for different uh, outreach projects uh, in, in the past. So despite the differences, we're, we're able to get past some of those and say, well, we can still work together. We still have those, those common things that bind us together, uh, and we can, we can work on that. When I go back to the stats for just a moment, it, mm -hmm. it comes out that there are other religious groups um, yeah. and there seems to be a wide range. I mean, there's a large mm -hmm. Hindu population in the county. This is followed closely by people of Jewish and Muslim faith. Mm -hmm. There are Buddhists, there are Sikhs, there's even quite a few indigenous uh, spiritual traditions. Yeah. Um, what does that reflect in your mind? What are we seeing going on there? Well, I mean, we know that uh, Canada is, is a multicultural um, uh, society. Um, Northumberland uh, is, is, is seeing a microcosm of that. I mean, I grew up in Toronto, which is one of the most multicultural cities in the world. Um, and so we, we acknowledge and recognize that we live in a pluralistic society. That is, we have a multitude of different faith traditions. Um, and each of those has its own understanding of God or of the divine. Uh, perhaps I could say just more generally of, of the divine and how to explain that. Um, which in a lot of ways is just trying to understand and explain, well, the big questions of life. Um, why, why, do we, why do we exist? Why is there life? Uh, what created and started it all? Um, and as a part of the faith community, as part of the Christian community, when I ask that question of well, what is the divine and what is that truth? The answer that I find is within the Christian tradition of uh, understanding who we are and how we are and how we should operate in the world. Um, but many of the faiths, though we, we and I'm no expert on, um, on, the, on the multitude of, of different faiths, um, we, we ask the same questions, we come to different answers, 
um, but there's still a common denominator within all of those, those of the faith traditions uh, that are really interested in the betterment of people and the treatment of people. And you find a lot of uh, commonalities amongst the different faith traditions. I, I think it's wonderful um, that we have that uh, diversity um, of faith uh, within it, within the community as well. You mentioned earlier that uh, the Christian church community works together on yeah. common projects. Is there a lot of integration or outreach between the other faiths that are practiced in the community and the Christian community? I know that a few years ago, there was an attempt to get off the ground, a, uh, a multi-faith group. Um, I don't know that it, it, it got a lot of traction. Uh, at the time, it was I was a part, a small part of it at the beginning. And unfortunately, with other things going on, I wasn't able to give it um, a lot of work. I was willing to be part of, but not a lot of work. And I don't really know that it got off the ground. Um, certainly, I know I'm always open to speaking with uh, with other traditions and, and other faith leaders of, of different traditions um, to make sure that everyone is, is felt welcome and uh, is felt safe that, uh, you know, um, we need to recognize that there are different faith traditions and uh, and have respect for that. And, and, and the dialogue between the different faith traditions can really be quite uh, illuminating. Um, and you, you, you learn something about an, a, another faith tradition and in the process you sometimes have things the light shone back and you, you realize something certain things about your own faith tradition as well uh, so it's, it's quite nice you've alluded to this earlier and you've talked uh, about it in a couple of different ways but I'd like to come back to it now and that is the growing number of people who either do not come to church or do not share in a faith mm -hmm. not just Christianity but no faith at all right what do you see as being um, a response to that? Or do we even need to respond to, is that even a response that is necessary? That is a question that is on the mind, I think, of anyone who's in church leadership, uh, I think on any denomination, because all denominations are sort of seeing that, uh, that decline and, and decrease in numbers. Um, and there's, there's concern of, well, what will the future of the church look like? Um, and I'm always reminded when we have these discussions from a, a Christian perspective is that, you know, one of the core tenets that we believe is we believe in the resurrection, right? So um, that, that Christ was resurrected um, from the grave. And so, but in order to get a resurrection, you have to have a death. And right now the church feels like it's going towards a death and we're afraid of that death and we're afraid of what that means. But if we really are resurrection people, then why, if I can put it this way, are we going kicking and screaming towards the grave? And maybe that's actually something worth embracing because we don't know what comes on the other side of, of things. So am I worried about it? No, I'm, I'm not. Um, the church has gone through uh, dramatic change um, over over the, the past two centuries. We've, we've seen that. And, uh, you know, we're, we're going through dramatic change again, uh, rather than being uh, worried or fearful for what that brings. There's a part of me that embraces what that change could bring, uh, what it means, how we might be able to reach out to people and, and care for people uh, in new ways. One of the reasons I wanted to talk to you, of course, is it's that time of year, Christmas, which is a, a very central and important date within the Christian church. Mm -hmm. 
Now, Christmas is celebrated worldwide. In fact, I was talking with some of my international students and asking them about the various traditions that they celebrate at this time of year. And what, what I found really surprising, and I'm, I, I'd, I'd love to know what you think, is that all of them celebrate some form of Christmas. In other words, there's gift giving, mm -hmm. there's special food. Uh, one student even told me that they have an aunt that gives them chocolates that they call <laughs> Christmas chocolates. Um, it's, it's supposed to be a real treat for them. So uh, as a religious leader, how do you react to that? Um, you will hear some people say, you know, Christ is the reason for the season or keep Christ in Christmas. Uh, I'm not a fan of those slogans, right? I think uh, as a Christian uh, and as a faith leader, I think Christ is, is firmly there. And in fact, I think that when we're giving gifts and when we're celebrating with family and loved ones that, you know, as a Christian, um, that Christ is there uh, with us. So, you know, if, if we're thinking of, oh, other faith traditions are co-opting or people who don't even go to, you know, Christmas has become a secular holiday. Yep, it has. That's not a problem. You know, I think an outpouring of, of goodness, uh, an outpouring of, of gift giving and, and generosity, uh, I think society needs more of it. So why would I get upset that my one of my Christian holidays is is now more of a, a secular holiday? Um, you know, uh, I celebrate that, um, that, that that generosity comes out. And many of the other faith traditions, and again, I'm no expert, they have holy seasons around this time of year as well that they celebrate and are caused to celebrate. Um, and, uh, and, and they should be recognized and, and you know, celebrated as well, you know. Um, as the world becomes more cosmopolitan, and by that I mean we share our culture so freely, especially in Canada, mm -hmm. I mean, food, music, culture. Mm -hmm. Can Christian Christianity's message of Christmas being the commemoration of the birth of Christ remain the dominant one, even if it is right now? So where, where does Christianity fit anymore? Yeah, that, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, when you, if you go back to the beginning, say that first birth, right? Well, there wasn't even in Christian, any Christianity, you know, Christianity doesn't take root as a sort of formalized or, or, or recognized uh, religion until, you know, the first, you know, 60 to 100 years um, after, after Christ's birth. Um, and in that time, at that place in the world and that time in history, it was, it was cosmopolitan. You know, if you think about the Roman Empire and, you know, all of the different cultures that fell under, under that, so really, are we any any different? Um, when Christianity first uh, arrived on the scene, it was just it was one among many religions. It was one among many ways of explaining the truth. Um, and today, that's the same. It's one of many ways of explaining the truth. I don't think there's any reason why we should be fearful in Canada that Christianity and, and the message of Christ's birth suddenly isn't the, the dominant story at any point um, in time. There's a diversity of stories. There's a diversity of things to share. And I mean, I, and I say that as a Christian leader who celebrates this time of year for, for this, that particular reason. I mean, it's, you know, to be technical, it's not Christmas right now. It's Advent. Um, Christmas doesn't start for two more weeks. Uh, and then it goes for 12 days. But that's not the story that society shares. And, uh, you know, we're in the Christmas season now. We're hearing that music on the radio. We're seeing the decorations, the lights down at uh, Victoria Park. And, you know, we're feeling 
that magic in the air, if I can put it that way. So no, I don't think there's cause for concern. I think that it's again, just having an open mind and, and, and uh, finding reasons to celebrate within the diversity of stories. You just alluded to my next question, which was to describe what is celebrated at Christmas and the Christmas season within the religious calendar. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about, uh, you referenced Advent, and then you talked about the Christmas season. Can you can you just talk about that aspect of it in, in a more strict sense of, of what that is about? Sure, yeah. Within the Christian year or the Christian calendar, um, the Christian year actually um, starts with the beginning of Advent, which was the, the final Sunday in November, I think the, the 27th. So that was the first Sunday in the Christian calendar year. I mean, we don't date differently, um, but just in terms of how we tell our story and, and the seasons. And we begin with the season of Advent. Um, which is four Sundays. And Advent is meant to be a time of preparation for uh, the nativity story and the birth of Christ. And when you look at some of the readings that uh, the scripture readings that we look at uh, and read during these uh, Sundays, a lot of them are, are they're, they're, they're preparatory. They ask us to prepare ourselves, to prepare the way um, and leading up to, to Christmas. So it's supposed to be a time of reflection. And then of course, of course Christmas then begins um, with the birth of Christ and lasts for the, the 12 days um, is the season of Christmas, uh, which is followed by uh, Epiphany. And um, so, you know, for, from a Christian point of view, it, it's not Christian for another uh, a couple of weeks. Um, and then that tree should stay up for those 12 days and then come down. <laughs> but, you know. But why is it 12 days? What, what happens in those 12 days? There's... Um, I'm sure that certain traditions, which are maybe more um, liturgical, which is a, a, a church word that is, you know, in terms of they follow a pattern and a tradition that there's certain services and orders that happen. From my point of view and, and my tradition, the Presbyterian tradition, there's nothing uh, different that we sort of do. Um, the 12 days, I believe, is uh, is to mark the, um, and again, I'm, I should be more of an expert on this than I am, but we always have, we have that story in the tradition. We tell it all in one night of, uh, you know, the, the pregnancy, uh, the birth, the manger, the, the cattles. Uh, the angels show up, the shepherds show up, and then the wise ones show up, right? Well, the wise ones don't show up until 12 days later. Uh, they, they can maybe even later than that. You know, they, they, they don't, they're not there on the scene that night. I mean, I don't know any uh, new mother or, or, or new parents who want that many people crowding around. <laughs> uh, so we tell the story in one way because it's, it's, it captures our imagination. Um, but uh, we're, we're massaging what, what scripture actually tells us is happening. You referenced earlier that December is, is a time of the year that is full of various traditions and, and various religious holy days. Uh, there's Hanukkah, which is Jewish. There's Kwanzaa, which is African spiritual. Uh, the winter solstice, which is Wiccan. Uh, Las Podas, which is Latin American. The Wali, which is Hindu and Sikh. Then there's the Chinese New Year gets jammed in there. And mm -hmm. I mean, there's just a lot of winter ceremonies. Even the indigenous nations, uh, some of them... Uh, do something called the sun dance, which is a, a, a tradition at this time of year. With all of that going on, what makes this time of year so special that so many traditions just seem to pick this month or this time of year uh, as a time to, to celebrate or commemorate something? I, I think that that comes out of uh, 
a time and a place in history uh, when uh, we were perhaps more in tune with nature and, and the natural world um, with the different the solstices and, and that time of year changing of seasons and different things like that. And I think that that sort of is what ties in with this time of year and why all these different faith traditions have sort of come in at this time of year is that they're following in on in some ways you know, those, those lunar patterns and different things like that. And Christianity is, in, is interesting because um, we celebrate Christmas, you know, it's, it's December 24th is Christmas Eve, 25th is Christmas Day, um, and that's set, that doesn't move, um, but Easter moves, right, because Easter is based on, you know, a lunar calendar, right, um, and so that, that's, you know, that's, that's a, an interesting facet of, uh, of, of the Christian faith, right, and so these other traditions are, are, are just, I think that, that that's historically, that's why that uh, we find this happening. You mentioned something earlier, and I wanted to come back to it because it's it's such a fascinating idea, and that is this idea of a community coming together um, and responding at this time of year. When we look around Northumberland, we see a lot of philanthropy mm -hmm. uh, at this time of year. There's the food bank, uh, there's the kettle drive, there's the giving tree. I mean, there is just a grocery list of opportunities for people to be philanthropic, to, to donate of their time and their money. Um, so it seems like helping others is a central message of Christianity as well. I know you don't yeah. care for the term, but have we really lost Christ in Christmas? Oh, no, not at all. You know, <laughs> I think that uh, Coburg, I mean, I'll speak to Coburg specifically. I, in my time that I've been here, I've been here for nine years now. I think uh, this is a very generous uh, community when you consider uh, the, the various different ways that uh, this community has come together, whether it's um, the uh, the faith community or the community um, at large. You know, you look at something like Ed's House or you look at the, the, the vaccine drive, different things like that. You look at the different service clubs and the work that they do uh, within the community and how, how that helps the community and so many um uh, other organizations on the grassroots level that that come together you know we you know, we recently had the, the snow came early in november and a group of community members said hey we have people living on the streets who need to be housed at st andrews we opened our doors for you know just under just under two weeks and allowed people in to uh, to shelter until the transition house uh, led a facility at st peter's could open and that was powered by over 60 people in the community who made that happen and, and work. The church just provided space. Uh, the community made it happen. Um, so, you know, it, you know, the, the message of the church, you know, it, it might be that, well, Jesus is born at, at Christmas time and we have our story at Easter of the, of the death on the cross and the resurrection. Uh, but when you really, when you read through the gospels, um, what you're reading is this, uh, and in the Old Testament, in the, in the books of the prophets, especially, you're reading about a care for the community, a care for the impoverished, a care for those people who don't have social safety nets. Um, you, you, uh, in the, in the, this is more prominent in the United States, but the firefighters have what's called the orphan and widows funds, which is for, you know, those who have, uh, the, the, those uh, who have been left behind uh, because their firefighting uh, loved one was killed in an accident. So they're cared for. Well, that comes out of the Old Testament, right? To care for the widow and the orphan, because in that society, they didn't have social safety nets, a patriarchal society, which, you know, fortunately we're not in anymore. Um, but you hear those language come through. Um, and so that's that message that comes out in scripture 
nature is one to care for those individuals who can't care for themselves, uh, who, who are falling through the nets that society isn't looking after. The structures that we exist, you know, are, you know, I mean, we know they're not perfect, right? They, they, they try to do their, their best um, and we're recognizing, well, we need to do more than what's there. And so that's the message of the gospel. Very, uh, in some ways countercultural, uh, very much arguing against some of the, the status quo of saying sometimes we, we don't we don't do well enough. Um, and that's a, a critical message that we find uh, in the Gospels and uh, worth reflecting on at this time of year as well. How do you celebrate Christmas? Yeah, and <laughs> leading up to Christmas is, is always sort of a, a really busy time. Uh, try to try to get together with friends as I can. But I mean, Christmas Eve for, for me and for many who, who work within the church, either as choir directors or musicians and, and other ministers, it's, it's obviously a, a really, really busy time. So I, I just try to, at, at some point in there, uh, just get some time spent with family to see uh, see my parents, uh, my sister, my nephews, uh, spend some time with uh, with my boys and uh, and the people that I love. And I mean, I'll, I will be really honest, you know, I mean, Christmas Day is a Sunday, so I have a, a service on, on Sunday morning. And uh, that afternoon, uh, I am going to celebrate Christmas with a nap, Robert. <laughs> Reverend Neil Ellis, thank you so much for talking to me today. Uh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. That was Reverend Neil Ellis, minister at St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me, and I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life and Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in, and I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more from Consider This.